I'm Jaspin and welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. Today, a special edition for you, Russell Howcroft. One of the most recognisable names in the Australian media and marketing industry, Russell has done just about everything. Ad executive, TV network boss, TV personality, creative partner, agency board member, consultant and now host of the number one radio show in Australia. No need for a further introduction. Here is the interview now. Russell Howcroft, welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Hey, Callum. Nice to be with you. Very nice to have you here. Uh, I guess, starting off, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, what are we, day after Anzac Day? Um, we had breakfast radio yesterday, um, and then I had a terrific day with my family. So, yeah, I'm terrific. Thanks, Callum. And we're, mm. we're here in the uh, 3AW Melbourne studios. You are around 20 months in yes. the job or so, yep. uh, pretty steady ship ratings-wise and all that. Mm-hmm. How are you enjoying it? Is it is it exactly what you thought it would be? Uh, it is and it isn't, I suppose, Callum, would be um, maybe the way to answer that. It is in that I, I've been a listener to the 3AW Breakfast for a very long time, so I, I know or knew the show well. Um, I, I As a listener... You, of course, can tune in and tune out whenever you wish. When yeah. you're actually part of the show, you don't have that choice. You have, you're here. Um, and so there's a relentless there's a relentless element to being involved with the show. So that bit, I mean, I obviously knew that I would um, have to get used to it. And getting used to it does take time. Um, it, it, it's not an easy thing to all of a sudden change your body clock. And that actually is what happens. Yeah. Um, so it's taken me a while um, I do recall um, way back when we were deciding, when I was deciding whether to do it or not and having a chat to the management, they said, oh, look, it'll probably take you around a year to get used to it. And I yeah. thought, oh, yeah, come off it, as in get used to the hours. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's that's actually more true than not true. Um, it genuinely does does create a whole new a whole new life. Yeah. And, you know, and, of course, there's lots of good off the back of that as well. Um, we were... Uh, you know, a broadcaster in the, in, I suppose we could say, a broadcaster of choice for a lot of Melbourne, yeah. in particular during the pandemic. Um, and we tried very hard to be both informative, but also sort of keep the positive vibe, you know, yeah. out there in the in the radio waves, which I think we did pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, you know, at times you hit above a quarter of the share of Melbourne um in terms of listeners through covid and you know very well documented a struggling time for this city yeah did did you sort of feel the importance of your job or the added weight of that during that time uh did i feel the importance of the job yes in that i know what 3w means 3w breakfast means to a lot of melbourne um and so treating the show with respect and treating the listeners with respect you definitely feel the weight of that and um, and, and ensuring that um, you had a realistic perspective on what was going on um, in people's lives. That was very, very important. So being realistic about, you know, the times as we were living them, but also um, being unrealistic about the the positive sides of life, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, and occasionally people would ring up. I, I was accused a couple of times of, of being false positive, you know, false positive being, you know, yeah. COVID language. Um, and in a way, maybe that's a bit 
my personality as much as anything. I do tend to look at the bright side. That's just how yeah. I am. Um, but I and I was really conscious of not doing, not being overly up, because for a lot of people that it wasn't it wasn't a good time. Yeah. Um, so we were always looking for things that you could do and how one could spend you know spend time. Um, and we tried very hard to be energized um, without being too over the top. I, the, the show's got a lot of intellectual challenges to it. And um, that's pretty good fun if you're a keen listener. Mm -hmm. We want you to ring up. We want you to participate. We want you to answer the, you know, the quiz or the challenge or the intellectual, you know, conundrum that's been created. That's a big part of the breakfast show. That's because of Ross Stevenson, of course. He's got a big brain. Um, And Ross doesn't mind, um, in fact, he loves the participation of the audience in helping him um, articulate big ideas, and I think that played a really significant role in the show, or well, still does play a big role. But during that time, um, if you can't go out and get stimulation, well, then stay in and listen to Three Hour Breakfast, right? <laughs> <laughs> and did it help? I guess the the allure of that, or maybe make it a little bit easier, being you know in your home city, kind of being a specifically Melbourne show. Did yep. that? Oh, for sure, M- uh, most definitely. And we are the show is unashamedly. Um, pro-Melbourne. Um, it's pro-Victoria, it's pro-Melbourne. You know, we've had some fun recently talking about having a um, seceding, Victoria seceding, yeah. um, <laughs> which then was picked up by, um, a, a uh, in fact, the Deputy Lord Mayor of Melbourne. He wrote a, an article last week in The Age about Vexit. Perhaps we should have a Vexit, which, you know... That could it, be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and obviously we're just being playful. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you learn, I learned, is the... You can be playful with ideas and um, and put ideas out there, and then just see what you know what comes back from the audience. So, do we seriously believe that a vex is a good idea? No, not really. But it's actually a really good conversation. Yeah. So, why should we have a vex? Well, for one, we don't believe we get our fair share of GST revenues. Yeah. Right? So there's a there's a there is support to the proposition, which then allows for a really good conversation. And I guess that's, you know, part of the appeal of, of talk radio and that's why it has been so popular over the last two years yeah. is that, you know, you obviously have that uh, that informing aspect. You know, we were speaking yep. just before we started recording about a few things you covered on this morning's show, um, but then also, you know, just having that sort of open dialogue and speaking directly to mm. Australians is, I guess, a welcoming or sometimes relieving radio yeah. experience. Well, to... Uh, Maybe to use old advertising, you know, visual language, it's, it is very much like a donut. You know, your traditional agents ad, when you think about ads, there's a core to the show, which of course is to inform, but then wrapped around the core is entertainment. Yeah. And I think this show does a very, you know, like a particularly good job at picking a subject that's occurring and then finding a way to actually talk about that subject in an entertaining way. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a lot of media is very worthy in its, in its tone. And, um, and, Maybe in particular during the pandemic, you know, more worthiness, you know, in inverted commas, more worthiness is a bit of a drag, yeah. right? So how can we inform and entertain at the same time? Um, it's, that's a great skill. Um, and, of course, this show has been doing it for a very long time, so it sort of understands how to do it. Yeah. Um, and that, of course, yes, I've talked about Ross, but then the other thing I've learned um, is, I mean, I would call this more of an ensemble. Uh, than perhaps m- people might um, expect. Yeah. So um, Damien Tardio is the panelist. He's the guy, the panel guy, right? He's the knob guy. 
um, <laughs> as in you know the volumes and the edits and the, when the ads come on, he is way more than that. Yeah. Um, his his knowledge of music and his knowledge of um, just sound grabs is incredible. Like he is encyclopedic, and so his ability just to add a little sound that just enhances the show. I mean, you can, I can't sort of overemphasize the role that the person on the panel plays. And then we've got three producers over on, over on the top, Damien. All of those producers form a really critical part of the ensemble and will often, in fact, be on air as well. Um, you know, the participation of the group, I think, is a really significant part of why the show is so loved. You'll have people ring up and they and they talk about Amelia, they'll talk about Scorcher, they'll talk about Luca, Damien or Damo, mm. as he's known. So they know the team, um, which is, again, it's a wonderful part of the program. It means that people it means that people have got a really deep um, connection to the show. I think that's really important, especially, you know, with the kind of growing, you know, podcast sphere and everything, yeah. people start to, I guess, well, you know, you've got a successful product when people feel like they're, you know, they're talking to their mates or yeah. what else they can call in and kind of have that sort of personal touch point. That's right. I was interested to ask you now, I guess Melbourne is still the biggest commercial radio market in Australia. How do you sort of see the radio proposition for advertisers now? And I guess, do you have any involvement in those conversations, maybe yeah. more than any other regular radio show host would? Well, I love talking to the advertisers. Yeah. Um, and we often, I often have conversations with them, in, and not just in a social context. I certainly do that, um, which is fun. You know, obviously, I'll, I love talking to advertisers about their successes. What, one of the really interesting things is if you speak to a hardcore, continuous advertiser on a show like 3AW Breakfast who've got a direct relationship, so their their advertiser relationship is direct with the station, um, they see the breakfast radio proposition as being fundamental to their success. And the reason why they see that is because they do very little other advertising. It's almost it's their core proposition. So their core relationship with the consumer or their core relationship with prospects is via our radio show. So they haven't got an argument around the power of advertising. If you're a major advertiser, um, and if you're a major advertiser, you use lots of mediums, that's when it becomes really complex. Yeah. So the major advertiser, well, how much is that radio show giving me versus that outdoor ad versus that social media spend? That becomes a really complex um, question to answer. If all you do is advertise on 3AW Breakfast, then you've got a really clear understanding of the ROI. Yeah. So I love talking to the advertisers because they absolutely unashamedly talk about the success that we help bring to them, which is a really re it's a refreshing discussion, Callum, because as you would imagine, I've had lots of discussions with many advertisers over the years around the power of advertising. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's lots of effort goes into proving the power of advertising. Um, and yet, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. So if you've got this sort of clarity around the direct advertiser, I really, I really enjoy that. Um, but of course, I enjoy speaking to the big advertisers as well. Um, and say the thing that I used to say at Network 10, which is, you know, we just want our fair share. Yeah? So um, it's very clear. Here are, the, here are the ears that are tuning into 3RW. Um, so here's the audience. Here's what the audience looks like. If you want to advertise to that audience, we just want our fair share. Yeah. So I'm not. I wouldn't suggest to an advertiser give us an unfair share. 
um, that the media agencies can deal with that. But from my point of view, why wouldn't an advertiser give um, a show like ours um, its fair share of advertising, its fair share of advertising time, the opportunity to hear? The other great thing uh, when talking about radio, um, Callum, is the production costs. Right, the production costs are incredibly low. Right, so yeah. you can so over the course of a week, what the cumulative audience of Three AW Breakfast is, I think it's over. It, well, it's over over five hundred thousand people. So you're going to get over five hundred thousand people, um, and uh, it doesn't cost you a lot to make a radio ad. Yeah. It doesn't cost you a lot to make a really good radio ad. So you've got low production, you've got low opportunity into cost per thousand high opportunity to hear. So the proposition's really strong. Yeah. Um, and so I would maintain it continues to be strong. That's Breakfast Radio. Notwithstanding that, there are a lot of lots of other opportunities for people to, you know, listen to stuff. So they've got their Spotify, um, which, of course, um, is clearly a music prop- proposition, not just music, because I listen to my podcast via Spotify. Mm-hmm. So there is, as always, there's always more content coming at you. But I do feel like um, a foundation for people's listening habit and a foundation for advertisers that Breakfast Radio plays a really big role. And then I guess in terms of more generally, you've got a lot of, a lot going on right now. Um, correct me if I've missed anything here. You've got obviously the radio show. Yep. Grew and ongoing at, at times. Coming soon. Coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Sayers, The yep. Grid. Yeah. What well, am I missing there? Um, I'm, I'm the chair of the Australian Film Television Radio yep. School. You know, so Afters, which is a, the federal the federal radio school in Sydney, which I chair. I've done that for about four years now, which I love. Um, it's a brilliant school. So uh, for those that are interested um, in a film, TV, radio, it's it's not for talent. Talent would be, let's say, NIDA. Yep. But Afters is for those that want to get behind the camera or behind the microphone. Um, very, very successful school. In fact, I think there's more Academy Awards out of Afters than there is out of NIDA. So great school. I thoroughly enjoy doing that. Um, and so, yes, I'm uh, I'm a, one of the founder, founders of the Sayers Group. Yeah. And um, and then part of the Sayers Group is Brand Momentum, which is Justin Papps um, and uh, Genevieve Reynolds, Nikki Bryson, who we all we all work together at PwC. Yeah. Um, so... I'm involved with those guys. I don't work anywhere near the hours that they work, of course. Uh, well, not of course, I don't. <laughs> um, and Luke and I have known each other for a long time. And um, uh, when he asked if I'd like to be the ch- the uh, Chief Creative Officer of PwC, I just thought that was wonderfully disruptive. Um, proved to be true. Yeah. And what I what I really have always liked about working with him and other partners um, is that they do love... The power of brand. They love the the power of ideas. They they get it, um, and that was always if we go if we cast our mind back a few years now. So you know why would one be a PwC with an advertising background? So not just me, me and colleagues. Why would you do that? And it was disruptive. It was disruptive. The marketplace was changing. It was an opportunity to participate in the market changing. But what we also discovered is that organisations like that. Like Sayers Group, they um, operate at a at the C suite, and it enables one to introduce the discussion around the power of brand and the power of creativity and the importance of marketing and advertising, etc., at the most senior levels. Um, and that's something which I've always liked doing, and it's a conversation I've always sought out. 
Yeah, I was going to ask what the kind of, I guess, specific marketing or, and I guess on top of that, creative capabilities there are at Sayers yep. and how that plays into the, the wider Sayers group. Yeah, okay. Well, what you've got is, so the broad thing called Sayers group, um, and then there's another of, number of arms to it. So there's, you know, strategy, there's mergers, acquisitions, uh, technology platforms, and then we call it brand momentum is the, is the name of the, let's call it the brand marketing yep. proposition. Uh, and it's think of that then as a hub and spoke. Um, so hub being, you know, strategic skill, strategic skill around marketing. And then relationships, but relationships loose with, with um, people that are able to execute. Uh, so look, a really good example um, of the power of sayers to convene um, talent and to create the right proposition and then to get it to happen um, so million dollar vax. So million dollar vax last year ran throughout October. Yeah. Um, every single day, the million dollar vax was advertised throughout the country. That was the Sayers Group um, brand momentum group, where we created the strategy. We had the partner, um, and then we got people to help us execute it. Now, um, Callum, hopefully someone is putting it into the Mumbrella Awards because it is. Um, I. Uh, well, I'm not 100 percent sure, but yeah. Uh, it, I know it, it's been put up for a few awards. It's an incredible across, case across study. It's an incredible yeah. case study. So in terms of call it a promote, well, it was a promotion. Um, it was the most successful promotion in Australia's marketing history, I believe, in terms of numbers of people that participated. And and I'm hoping this is the case, that the case study was able to show a causal effect between the promo and the increased speed with which people were getting vaccinated. Yeah. So that is a that is a wonderful example of what we're trying to do, or what we are doing at Sayers. Some core skill and then get in people like we've got in Bastion, we've got in Big Red, we've got in PhD, yeah. uh, all of whom were partners in the delivery of the Million Dollar Vax. It's a cracking story. Um, the other thing that we're doing at Sayers Group is a... Uh, well, it's, it's something that I've always wanted to do, to get into a position where you're able to invest in clients, so invest time or invest money in clients. And so what the sales group, another part of what it is up to, is it invests in clients. So if you invest in, a, in an organisation and then you're able to provide them with marketing advice, then that's a really strong yeah. proposition. Right. So we, we're working with their scale-ups. We're working with quite a few scale-ups whereby, yep, we're giving them money, we're giving them sales and strategic advice, and we're helping them with their brand. That, for me, is really exciting. And um, you've also got the grid going on, a strictly Melbourne kind of um, innovation business. Tell us a bit about that. Well, the grid, it's early days for the grid, um, although we have an event on May 11, so uh, 5.30 p.m. May 11 at the State Theatre. Um, the grid is designed to be a festival that promotes innovation and yeah, promotes the the notion that ideas matter innovation matters um, connecting people that have got ideas with people that have got money um, that's a critical part of what we're trying to do with the grid and I think um, well in fact the the event in May it, it's designed around um, knowledge week which is uh, an event that the city of Melbourne invests in and knowledge week is just that so what we're going to do with our grid event which is happening during knowledge week is Go around, you know, go to Tokyo, go to Shanghai, Israel, San Francisco, the UK, 
via the wonders of the internet, of course, but we've got um, various technology experts in each of those countries that are leading the way in their markets. Um, because what we want to do is just energize people and say, you know, have you seen what's happening in Israel around AI, for example? And people that are interested in AI, I hope that they come along. Um, and what I hope happens is that they get energized and, you know, maybe meet someone at a grid event that's got the money or has yeah. an interest. And we need to ensure that we, we make our economy here. It's unashamedly Melbourne because it's, it's called the grid because we we uh, have a CBD on the HODL grid, as yeah. you know. Um, so it's a brand that relates to um, our city. And I want to do what I can to ensure that um, we have an economy which is, you know, facing into the future. So recognising fourth industrial revolution, recognising that it's around the internet of everything, digitising everything, recognising it's about sustainability. Um, the sharing economy is a, is a you know, a massive wave. And so how do we in this city create significant businesses around what the new economies are going to look like. That's ultimately the core purpose of the grid. As I say, early days, but wish me luck and come along um, on May 11. I think it was in it was in 2016 when you joined PwC initially, it was written on Umbrella that it was a sign of the, the consultancies breaching the walls of the creative industry. Yep. Since then... Um, PwC took a, a stake in Thinkerbell. Correct, yep. Uh, Deloitte Digital has hired some pretty serious creative talent. They're doing very well. Nick Garrett, He's Matt there. Lawson, yep. very recently Paige uh, Prettyman from Special Group. Accenture have now uh, obviously owned the monkeys and they've been invited to Droger. the... the, the co and, well, and, and Droger, but they've been invited to the Coles pitch uh, currently ongoing. Mm -hmm. Do you think... Breaching the walls was an overstatement, or ha has it gone further than that since then? Well, even at a really sort of newsworthy level, um, Matt Lawson is the co-chair of the MADC, and he is the um, creative director at Deloitte. Mm -hmm. So that, of, that as much as anything, when, when I read about that, I thought, oh, that's fascinating because that's the industry actually saying – it's You're been legitimate. Right. Yeah. Well, legit. They've always been legitimate, but as, we, in like, as, as a creative yeah, house. Yeah. And, and they are. I mean, you know, the Deloitte is quite interesting in that they are, they do make advertising. Yeah. So when we were at PwC, we didn't make advertising, whereas Deloitte's actually creating it. And, and why not? Because places like Deloitte and it's certainly Accenture, they're different. Accenture is different. Accenture is a, you know, a, a listed entity. Deloitte's a partnership, PwC is a partnership, EY are partnerships. They're very different yeah. corporate structures. But all of them, all of them participate in the creation of, you know, digitizing organizations. They then have got creativity when they apply that to their digital marketing as they sort of moved, you know, in, in different directions. And then, of course, why wouldn't you then apply the power of advertising to assist you with helping build the digital businesses that you've been creating? So it was sort of going to happen, yeah. I don't know. I think it might have happened in Australia more than more dramatically here than in other places. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, I um, if I was going to can this year, I'd be able to find out, you know, um, whether whether the PwCs or whether Australia is an outlier. Um, so I don't know the answer. Uh, well, of course, Accenture bought Droga Five in the US, didn't they? So, yeah. but as I say, they've got a different corporate structure. Um, it's very interesting to look at the multiples that they paid for these organisations. If you go back to, I'm just going to say, uh, 1980, 
that might not be right. Actually, it might be a bit later than that. Um, it would be later than that when um, Martin Sorrell bought JWT. Mm-hmm. He bought it on the same sort of multiples as you know as your Accentures are buying monkeys. Because um, if you want to reshape your business, you invest in the organisation that's going to help you reshape your business. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, the past couple of weeks have been reports about um, Accenture sort of uh, under David Droger sort of, yeah. uh, I guess, pulling their brands together and streamlining them of yep. sorts. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, do, do you think more generally this has been a good thing for the industry? Of course. What? Yeah, most definitely it has because it, it has, as I was talking about earlier, getting the conversation that the executive suite, uh, it, it's it's the reality. The reality is that if you are a senior partner at these organisations, you are talking to the board, you are talking to the CEO um, and, and the C-suite. And if via those conversations you then are talking about the power of marketing and advertising in order to build businesses, that's a good thing. Um, those of us that love the ad world, um, we we it, it's the reality. The reality is that many many people in the advertising or the advertising industry has fallen further down the org chart. Yeah, and so there's no doubt that it's good for everyone in advertising to get the conversation, whether you're at an agency or whether you're at a consultancy. There's no doubt that getting the conversation happening at the highest level of organisations is the right thing to do, or is what is what we all want, yeah. you know. And I was very proud, for example, of um, when I was at PwC, speaking to boards and speaking to CEOs, um, and showing the evidence on why they had to build their budgets. So we, we've had a decade, from 2008 really, until you know now where you've got advertisers continuously looking for the so-called 50% that's wasted, which is complete and utter nonsense, <laughs> right? It's the most damaging quote in in business. Obviously, it damages the advertising industry because clients are trying to spend half as much, but it damages the businesses because they should be spending twice as much, right? Because advertising works. It works to grow your business. So why wouldn't you advertise? It, it's mad. So we put a lot of time and money and effort into showing boardrooms, C-suites, CFOs in particular, here is the return on advertising investment that you're going to get. You need to spend more money, not less. And I'm very proud of the fact that we did get clients to spend more money. The reason why people were anxious around consultancies is because they they believed that they were going to come in and look for ways to cut because a lot of consultancies do that. That's not the consultancies that I'm involved in. (laughs) You know, you, you say that you, how much you love the the industry. You've kind of been described as the advertising industry's greatest cheerleader and the, I guess, the biggest salesman for the industry. Yeah. Okay. How do you sort of see the the state of the creative industry right now in Australia? It's kind of been described as, uh, or maybe observations have been made that the work is in a little bit of a trough potentially. Nah. There's always that discussion. Yeah. And every single year, every single year, there'll be. Gee, we could do better, and you, that, of course. Um, but then I look at that ad that's been done uh, for steak, um, uh, meat and livestock. No steak, as in get a, the app for trading. No, sorry, steak, steak, S T A K E. That is a stunning piece of advertising. You know that. It, it, I, I I hope it wins. I mean, so we we do have Can coming up in June, um, and. Uh, I'd really like to go. Anyway, <laughs> sounds I, like it. <laughs> no, I love. I've loved. I've always loved it. It's been. <coughs> I wouldn't say I've been every year, but I've been a lot. I have been a lot. I'm very fortunate in that I've, I have got to go quite a lot, 
And that, of course, is when you get to ben- that's where the benchmark is. Yeah. Um, so, so every single year there is a benchmark around um, is the work that we're producing up to world standard, um, and are we winning? Um, and so let's wait and see. And, and every single year, Australia does very well. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes maybe we surprise ourselves at how well we do, but we do do very well every year. Um, and in, in a way, you know, there is, there's a lot of horses for courses when it comes to the production or the, to creative work. Sometimes just churning it out is actually the right thing to do. And sometimes low cost churn out, repeat, repeat, repeat in a relentless fashion is the right thing to do. Yeah. Not every single opportunity is a creative opportunity. And so I think the really good agencies um, are very good at picking the, the opportunity. Yeah. They need to have the objective discussion with the client, right? so not the subjective one, um, whereby, dear client, we believe this is an opportunity to break through via creative ideas. This isn't an idea that we're going to do as a one-off it's an idea that we're going to create because we'd like it to be around for the next 15 years. That's something which I would like to see more of. Yeah. So let's together invest in it. Uh, and, you know, there, there, there are, I'm just trying to think what else have I seen. I, I really like the Medibank ads, the most recent Medibank ads where let's call it we've, we've got um, individuals that may feel like they're in, somewhat in isolation in society that Medibank is very, very keen to promote. And I love it. It's beautifully made. Speaking of beautifully made, Amy, the Amy work, mm-hmm. there is a great advertiser, right? They are relentless. They know what their assets are. Like Toyota knows what, it, what its asset mm-hmm. is, right? They understand what their assets, they understand the hook of Amy and the storytelling asset that is Amy. They've told stories since 1985 Chevy Chase that George Patterson did, right? Forever. They, they produce beautiful work. And it, it is something to remind ourselves is when we've got the chance to be, work with a brand that's got the money to produce something beautiful, why not do it, right? Why not actually create great stories? It's no surprise, of course, that the CMO, at Amy, is an ad guy, <laughs> right? So he understands what ads do. And that, that again, we, sh- we, can't, we can't forget how important it is to just have the, have the conversation about what does make good advertising? Why that advertising A is good and why advertising B isn't so good? Like have those conversations with clients um, because we want them to buy good work, but maybe we don't spend enough time explaining what good is versus bad. Yeah. I mean, you, you your work on Gruen over the years along with your co-hosts and presenters has kind of put advertising very much at the front of mind for yep. many Australians. Do you think advertising is i guess perceived differently now by australians is there a certain way that you know it's it, it resonates that, yeah. that might have progressed or gone the other way over the recent years well i'm pleased to say the uh, the answer to that is yes um so when gruen first started um if you go back into the uh into the google machine you'll see some criticism um of the show and the criticism was that uh if we want advertising to be taken seriously, then why would one participate in a show like this? Um, and so that's okay. I was sort of, you know, not just myself, but we were being criticised because, as say, as I said, I've always been very keen for the ad chat to happen at the highest levels. So why be in a show? It has had the opposite effect, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's had the opposite effect at a personal level. I've 
been able to, as a result, have conversations at, a, at perhaps a corporate level I may not have been able to have. But it's also it's also had an effect in that if you look at the VCE or HSC scores that are required to get into the ad ad schools, the marketing schools, they've all gone up. Yeah, yeah. They've, the the demand to get into the industry has increased, and there's no surprise that that's the case. Um, people enjoy watching MasterChef, and then they choose to be a chef off the back of it, or they like watching some legal show. You know, they, it, you, people get turned on by what they see via the 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 entertainment that they're consuming. Yeah. You might watch Mad Men and think that'd be. I'd like the idea of a martini over lunch. Or you're watching Breaking Bad, and I guess let's get into the <laughs> let's get into you know that that line of work exactly exactly. Um, obviously, federal election at the moment. What do you make of the political advertising so far? Is there any that have kind of caught your eye, or maybe someone getting their how, how should they get their messaging across correctly? Well, for, so far with formula, yeah. So so far the formula is pretty simple in that you'll use. You use medium media, I should say, news media. Uh, you'll do a press conference. You'll put on a high vis vest and a hard hat, and uh, the press conference then makes it into the evening news and to the newspapers, which is your positive messaging. And then you'll use your advertising money to be negative about the opposition. Right. So we're seeing that. Yeah. Um, both uh, at a very simple level, both appear to be using that model. Then social media. Um, well, I would say my observation would be that social media so far has been used more on the positive side, mm-hmm. where you want to tell your story. Um, maybe that might get more negative as the as the campaign goes on. People get more desperate. Um, it is, as it was last time around, fascinating to watch um, the UAP. Um, as we know, Palmer's talking about spending $100 million. Yeah. So let's call it $100 million over 100 days, million bucks a day. Um that to me just shows what the weight of advertising money can do, um, and it's for me something that all advertisers should, should just look at. So I'm not talking politically here, Callum. I'm just saying if I'm an advertiser, wow, look look what I can do if I spend a significant weight of money. What one is able to do is to, is be seen by everyone. Mm-hmm. So that is a important for me. It's a really important reminder of what the weight of ad spend is actually able to do. And also the sort of money you need to spend to get, you know, the population certainly yeah. aware. Be hard not to be aware of the UAP, right? <laughs> right? There's a lot of uh, defaced billboards around. Of course, living, so. of course, but also just the simplicity of it. Own a, own a color. Yeah, yeah. Which good advertisers know that. Good advertisers understand. Own a color, a, a color palette, or a particular color. Own a sound. Finish your advertising in the same way every single time. Have a structure to your advertising, which is a formula. One of the conversations I've had for a long time, Callum, with advertisers uh, is you want to have a formula. You want a formula with your ads. Now, sometimes the creative fraternity doesn't like the idea of have a, have a formula. Formulas are good. Yeah. Right? You're then creative within the formula. It's, it's, it's how it needs – it's how it should be done. Do you think there's been any missed opportunities so far? Is it too early to say, I guess, wait until things are done? Um, okay, so it's it's all about being tactical, isn't it? So the opportunity for tactics um, is is a, is what the advertising agencies that are responsible would be looking for. Um, so you know, when Anthony Albanese is um, in isolation, you know, I'm sure what would have happened is the agency concerned would have presented an ad which was um, about um, Anthony Albanese being. In ISO, you, yeah. you wouldn't be able to resist doing an ad like that. But it, I would—I think what would have happened is that the 
Liberal Party would have said, no, we're not running that ad because yeah. that is, you know, that's just too far, for example. So I think what we need to do is look for the tactics. Um, I saw a tactical advertisement um, f- using uh, Dawn Fraser, Lisa McKeon, I think, which was, I think, in really poor taste. Um, you know, and I, one of the things I think we should remember is that advertising, whether it's political, whether it's brand, is a window into the organisation. So organisation X is prepared to run an ad like that. Yeah. Therefore, I know what it's like to sit in that boardroom. Therefore, I know what that organisation is like, right? So I always, I like looking at ads in my mind's eye. I like looking at them as a window into what goes on. Yeah. So when you're looking at maybe, in this case, political advertising, imagine that that's a window and then imagine the people that are saying yes to communication like that. Yeah, and I guess it also lets you know what, what could have been and maybe didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's right. But I also, I think we all know that people um, vote against, they don't vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, so voting against means that you run advertising, which actually promotes the vote against. We also know that negativity is far more powerful than being positive. I yeah. mean, this is one of the great tragedies of the digital media landscape, digital media um we just know, I'm sure you know, you're aware with your numbers, if you have a negative headline, it's going to get more click-throughs yeah. than a positive one. Um, many years ago now, Callum Umbrella ran a headline, um, Puberty Blues Fails to Reach a Million because 950,000 people listened to it, right? So the headline wasn't 950,000 people watch Puberty Blues. It was Fails to Reach yeah. a Million. Uh, that was a, a personal experience on... What's going on there? Yeah. Oh, hang on. I know what's going on there. Negativity is able to be monetized. So that's a bit of a tragedy for all of us. Um, in a political sense, political ad sense, negativity actually it it, it hits home at a far uh, far more efficient rate, if that's the right word. You know, rule of thumb, uh, it takes seven positive messages to balance counterbalance one negative message. It sort of feels instinctively right, right, Callum? Yeah. So if you're in the ad game in a political context, you'll do the negative because it's going to take you seven times the money to do something positive. <laughs> Such is our world. So I'm I'm interested to you know you've got so many of these things going on right now which we've discussed. How how do you juggle them all? And I guess how do you split up your time? I guess like how is how does a day for for Russell Howcroft look? I've grouse day. <laughs> I, I mean I I do. I have a fantastic day. So. Um, I'm in bed uh, probably 8.30, yeah. which I sort of figure is not a bad thing, you know, getting because I'll then get a good night's sleep. I'm at the studio here. Um, well, I get picked up um, at 4.30, taxi, 4.30. Yeah. I do that because that means the 15 minutes into the studio is spent reading um, the emails that have already come in by the producer. Mm-hmm. So he's already been up for a couple of hours. Um, and I read a summary of um, the news so when I hit the desk at court to five, I've already got a bit of a feel for what's happened, yeah. you know, in the papers. And then we then, you know, rather famously, the show happens organically. Yeah? So as I said before about formula, there's a structure to the show and then the content within the structure happens organically. Um, and that, for me, starts at 4.30, court to five. Show finishes at 8.30. I forgot to mention I have a scooter in the taxi. Mm-hmm. I put my scooter in the taxi. I then scooter down to the other end of town um, like an electric one? Yeah. yeah. Where I've got an office 
Um, I've actually I've rented an office which is next door to Sayers Group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in there. My son's got an agency called Good One, mm-hmm. um, and Good One he started during the pandemic. He's in his mid twenties. He started that with a couple of mates, um, and so they've got an office. I've got a space in there, um, and I've got a couch, <laughs> a little chair, in fact, that it lies down. So that's wonderful. I, I have a rest, uh, and then. Um, I don't know what time I stop having rest, but you know, yeah. I give myself <laughs> give myself an hour or so, um, and then I'll do some brand work. You know, mm-hmm. I just uh, th- this. I just like speaking to people about their ideas and the work that they do, um, and you know, maybe I'll go out for lunch. Yeah, um, it, it might sound like I'm up to a lot, but um, I think so far, no, I, I, I'm fine. I'm good. In fact, you know, I've I have rewired myself to this, you know, new calendar or this yeah. new daily daily um how i operate during the course of a day and way more efficient get a lot more done and i guess you know all these all these roles you've done what what what's next pizza chef tram driver well i tried a guy mayor i tried a um <laughs> i tried a pie factory callum you tried working in a pie factory. no i tried owning one. Oh, oh my god which is a great lesson great lesson in just stick to what you know um I had, it was it was really interesting. I did have this notion that um, you know I've worked on food brands for many many years. Love food brands, so I thought I'm going to build I'm going to build a food brand. Well, you know, respect for full respect for clients um, and full respect for being in a position where you know you need to spend money on marketing, but actually spending your own money on marketing that's a big thing. It's yeah. a it's a big decision to do it. And so I thought that I'd be, you know, the world's greatest client. Turns out I wasn't. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was really tough. So I have tried to um, go off piste. I'll just I'll just stick to you know ideas. Yeah, that's the call. Yeah. Mm. Do you ever see yourself back in agency life in any form? Well, um, brand momentum is is not it's not not an agency. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love making things, as in the being involved in the making of advertising. So we did the um, million dollar vax, as I said before. Um, we've done a lot of brand work. I love brand design. I really love working with design agencies on, you know, their work. You know, I, I, if I could reinvent, you know, life design, brand design, I'd, I'd be thrilled. Um, us and us has done some great work for us at Sayers Group. Um, uh, working with a business called Illenium. Uh they've just done some great new work for me on the grid, um, mm. and so I, I I love getting involved with all forms of execution, as in advertising, brand, design, execution. Any opportunity to have a point of view on that and to push it in a particular direction, yeah, I love doing that. So, uh, and I, I do share an office with a young agency, and um, they are. You know, they don't even know above the line and below the line is, you know. They don't, they've got no, all, all the old tropes that I'm, I was brought up on, I haven't got a clue about. So I, I overhear what they're up to a lot and it's that's very, very enjoyable. And then while you're taking your hour break and your lie-down chair, they'll yeah. come and ask you. No, your the door's <laughs> shut, Callum. The door's shut and it's very comfy. Um, but I'm very, obviously I love talking to them about what they're up to. And look, from a... No, I've been around a while now. They, when they seek out a point of view, I'm grateful that they want to hear what I've got to say. But then I've got no expectation that they'll do anything with it. Yeah. 
So, Callum, while I've got you, so Twitter today, so Elon Musk has bought Twitter today. So what is that going to mean? What's that mean for Twitter? What does that <laughs> well, mean for us users? I think it's probably too early to say on a, on a local sense, you know, kind of doing a bit of a scan on Twitter this morning, just about everyone who's involved in, in media has had their take, um, I think, initially. Maybe you'd think some people would turn off the platform. I guess it'll be interesting to see if something else does emerge out of that. Why would you turn off the platform? Well, I think, you know, having someone in charge who has so publicly made his views on certain issues um, will put them out there probably on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, And potentially it's been suggested he's buying it for certain reasons. Right. Um, So, you know, if it's not, kind of operated at that board level, which was kind of conjecture as to why when he bought that stake, he didn't join the board. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what direction he takes it. I agree. When I look at him, I just think, my goodness me, what an unbelievable innovator. <laughs> I mean, seriously, incredible. PayPal, is that what he did first? Uh Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then, of course, uh, he, mm-hmm. he's now the world's richest man. So I he's, suppose he can buy whatever buy some, he wants. By some way, yes. Um, yeah. He could create his own Twitter change. if he wanted to. So maybe this is an example of the power of brand because he could just build a Twitter. Yeah. Right? But I mean, he could, but, you know, buy it with however 100 million users you've already got on there. It's probably an easier solution. Yeah. And what multiple? <laughs> do you know what multiple he paid? Uh, I have no idea. I think the total figure was 44 billion US. Yeah. Interesting to see what so value what, he put yeah. into the brand. Yeah. Anyway, thanks. I guess with Mumbrella, our remit is well, we're founded MUM Media and Marketing. Yeah. Um, you've probably that would be Mambrella. <laughs> Asked him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've probably covered off most of the, the the most relevant jobs for what we cover mm-hmm. as an industry. Yep. It's been really interesting since I took up this role, sort of being down here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. flying the flag. Up here in Melbourne. <laughs> Correct terminology. Um, there's been a lot of these tropes and cliches that have been thrown at me. You know, you have got to move to Sydney if you want to do X, Y, or Z. Sydney's the big brother or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you see any of these as sort of holding true or has, has that dynamic sort of changed since COVID? Well, the dynamic has definitely changed since COVID in that, in that people are prepared to, you know, use the screen far more. So the idea that you've got to get on a plane in order to have the meeting, um, that is no longer as prevalent as it once was. The, the reality is, though, that the media company's head office is in Sydney. Yeah. So whether it's 7, whether it's 9, whether it's 10, whether it's News Corp, whether it's Foxtel, whether it's the ABC, which, of course, we don't advertise on, but the 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 head and the main agencies, the media agencies, as a result of the media companies, they are in, they're in Sydney. Um the creative side of the world doesn't matter so much, um, but you've got to go where the clients are. Um, I think that is a, a particularly interesting about how Australia operates. You do need to be where the clients are, as in, you know, if a client is a Melbourne client, Melbourne agencies will tend to get the work. There's a, Every now and then there's something yeah. different around that, but that's that's the basic rule. That's certainly not the state, the, uh, the situation in the States, for example, or in Britain or in France, um, but it is the situation here. We like the idea that ideas travel and an idea doesn't have to be, you know, physical or the individual doing it. And and I think that, as I said, I think that that's no doubt become more prevalent, um, the willingness to 
just get excited about ideas no matter where they come from. That's really important. It's also important, though, for the media companies to recognise that it's not long until Melbourne is a larger metropolis than Sydney is. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe the because obviously what media companies do is they follow the they follow the numbers. Yeah. So they follow the population because the population is what makes them money. Yeah. Right. So. Who knows? Uh, maybe there's an opportunity for one of the major media players to change their centre of the universe. Come back down here. Why? What? Why? Why not? You know. Um, or there's an opportunity for new media companies to base themselves out of um, Melbourne, which um, I like the idea of that. Yeah. And just finally, Russell, now a respected broadcaster. Any tips for me behind the mic? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy yourself. I think that's my so a combination of. Um, I think, you know, being well-researched, Callum, as I know you are, yeah, so be well-researched. Um, so you you always have got a sense of what's coming next out of your mouth, right, and then enjoying yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Callum. Thank you. And that is it for this special episode of the Mumbrella Cast. We'll be back on Thursday with the normal schedule. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more content updates and the back catalogue of the Mumbrella Cast on the website. You can also find the rest of the episodes on whatever podcasting app you listen to these on. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you on Thursday.